Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. You glad to be at church today? Amen. All right. It sounds like we're going to have a good time then. Well, I'm glad you're here. Hope you had a great week and a great weekend. If we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as senior pastor here at BT Church, and I have the privilege of taking us into God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you meet me in Judges chapter 7. Old Testament, Judges chapter 7 is where we'll be as we wrap up a short two-week series called Life of Possibilities. Life of of possibilities. But before we jump into that today, uh, we want to celebrate some things. I want to echo what Peter has already said. I want to celebrate all of our VIPs in the room and online. First-time guests, let's make some noise for all those first-time VIPs. So glad you're with us. If you haven't already done so, I, I want to encourage you to do me a favor. Would you text us? Take your phone out and text us at 97,097,000. Type BTVIP, one word, no space. You'll be sent a prompt if you'll respond. Uh, we would love to be able to reach out to you. Thank you for being with us and answer any questions you might have about our church. I also, one more time, want to welcome the BT Online family. Give it up for everybody watching online today. Glad to have you tuned in. Why don't you let us know in the chat where you're watching from so we know where everybody is is today. Uh, we had an amazing time of worship Friday night. I hope many of you were able to be there with us. It's called Renovation. We, we celebrated where we have come from as a church and where we are, but also talked about where we are headed. If you uh, had to miss Friday night, all I can say is you missed it. <laughs> so, But don't, don't get too distraught. Uh, next week, uh, we'll start a brand new sermon series entitled Renovation, and it'll be six weeks in length, and we're going to be talking about uh, where we've been, where we are, and where we believe the Lord is leading us in the future. And so uh, I encourage you, mark your calendars for the next six weeks. Make sure you're here next week. Next week is the first week of the series. Next week is also renovation. Bring a friend week. That's right. Uh, and then lastly, uh, also next week is one weekend. So be praying for one weekend, our annual student conference. One person's excited, so that's a good start. And he's not even that excited. I was like, listen. If you're going to do it, do it, right? So um, it's our annual student conference. Literally hundreds of teenagers will fill this room starting Friday night. And so uh, join me in prayer that God would move in power, that students' lives would be transformed. If you uh, are a parent and you have a 6th through 12th grader that is not signed up, uh, love Jesus and sign them up, all right? So um, it is an amazing weekend uh, that uh, I believe God is going to move in power. Um, and so uh, just be joining us in anticipation of what God's going to do. Uh, we do believe in celebrating what God does. Uh, we think celebration is a discipline, and like any discipline, if you don't do it, you get bad at it. So check this out. So far this year, 73 people have said yes to Jesus, receiving the gift of salvation, going from death to life. And 27 people have chosen to be baptized as a sign of obedience of that life change they've experienced. 27 people, and every... Sunday so far this year, we've had someone get baptized, and so it's just uh, truly a unique season for our church to experience uh, such a powerful move of God. So this series, two weeks in length, called Life of Possibilities, kicked it off last week uh, by talking uh, about how we find freedom in the fracture. You see, what the series is really all about is uh, we all know that we live in a broken world, right? We, we live in a broken world. Uh, there's heartache and there's hurt. And, and sometimes we are faced with situations in life and we feel like all we're trying to do is make the least bad decision, right? You ever, you ever feel that way? If, if you've ever voted, then you've probably had at least one time you have felt you're making the least bad decision, right? Um, but but we're, we're faced with situations where that doesn't always seem like there's a good option. 
And we are programmed by culture to say you have to choose one or the other. And whichever one you choose, you're probably going to be wrong. And if you actually don't choose, that's wrong. And sometimes when life is A or B, one or two, this or that, the beauty of following Jesus is we find out there are other ways. We find out that even though we live in the fracture of sin and brokenness, if we seek Jesus, there is freedom. So that was last week, and if you missed that, you can watch that sermon online. But today, as we wrap up Life of Possibilities, looking at Judges chapter 7, a relatively well-known character named Gideon, I want to talk about how do we leverage our limitations? How do we leverage our limitations? Because here's the reality, all of us have limitations, The funny thing, I think, in society today, culture wants to get us to either believe that we have no limitations, right? If you can dream it, you can do it. Uh, Where there's a will, there's a way. Listen, I'm all for encouraging people to work hard to pursue that which they want to accomplish. I am for that. But you do understand that that there is a line where it just, it it ceases to move forward. For example, uh, if you can dream it, you can do it. I dreamed of playing in the NFL. Brother ain't taken one down of professional football in his life, Right? I, I can dream it. I can have a will. There ain't no way. So, <laughs> so sometimes culture wants to tell us that, that there, there are no limitations. You're your own limitation. If you shake that off, you can, you can set your mind to things and accomplish anything. But, but, but then the flip side, sometimes culture will also tell us because of your limitations, you have no purpose and you have no hope and you have no future. You are so, and Satan loves to tell us that one. You're so broken and, 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 and the situations in front of you are so impossible that you might as well just give it all up now. But beloved, what I want to say is that, yes, we can acknowledge our limitations. In fact, here's the reality. Limitations are God-ordained. If you think when God created the world and put the first people in it, Adam and Eve, they were created with limitations. They were not created with sin, which has added limitations, Right? But they literally, they had, to, they had to rest. God does not. They had to eat. God does not, right? They had to go to the tree of life. While, while their lives were not created to expire, they had to fuel their lives because they had a limitation. They were not self-sustaining. God ordained limitations because through them, we can trust him. Now, sin entered the world and, and great limitations came in, right? Well, a, a physical limitation is the fact that now all of us will have a point in time where our, our chest will stop rising and falling with breath and we will, we will experience physical death. It's a really encouraging sermon I got for you today, by the way. So. But it's not just physical, right? Because of sin, we, we, have, limita- we have limitations relationally. Listen, I'm just going to say this. Without Jesus, we truly can't move past hurt and bitterness and anger and actually express forgiveness. We cannot do that without Jesus. We can attempt to, but we, we really can't. And so we, we deal with limitations relationally. We deal with them emotionally and mentally. We, we, we deal with limitations spiritually. And what, what, we, what, what we need to understand is that we don't have to run from them. We don't have to deny them. That's not the answer. What we need to do is trust God with them, and then we will see our limitations leveraged for his glory, and his glory is always for our good. And so like a good preacher, I have three things I want to point out today. They all start with the same letter, so it's nice and sticky for you, all right? Three things, looking at Judges chapter 7, that I want to point out today on how we can learn to leverage 
our limitations. Here's the first thing I'd like for you to write down. It's the word perspective. What do we do to leverage limitations? We, we've got to understand that we need a shift in our perspective. Judges chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Jerubel, that is Gideon, and all the troops who were with him got up early and camped beside the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them below the hill of Moray in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, my own strength saved me. Now announce to the troops, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the troops turned back, but 10,000 remained. This is what's happening. Uh, Gideon had been called by God to uh, lead an attack on an army that we're going to refer, refer to as the Midianites. And uh, he started, Gideon started with 32,000 troops, right? Now, just maybe at first glance, that may sound like pretty good odds. Uh, but the Midianites had 135,000 troops. So out the gate, it's, it's not favorable conditions. And God tells Gideon, listen, you got too many guys. Why did God intentionally limit Gideon's resources? Because Gideon needed a perspective shift. You see, while God is subtracting from the numbers, he is increasing Gideon's trust in him. And so he says, you got 32,000, that's way too many to defeat 135,000. And I love it. I love what he says. He says, so, you know, these are, these are battle-ready soldiers, men of God, right? He says, so go to them and say, hey, if anybody is a little scared, you, you, can, you can stay back. And you would think the Bible would say, but no one, you know, it's like, the, you know, William Travis, the Alamo, drew the line in the sand. He's like, hey, if anybody's not up for it, you guys don't have to go. 22,000 jokers. I'm out. Peace. Like, uh, I'm going to take my leave of absence now. So, so two-thirds of the group are out. So now it's 10,000 to 135,000. Clearly, this is where God wanted to get them. In verse 6, then the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many troops. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. If I say to you, this one can go with you, he can go. But if I say about anyone, this one cannot go with you, he cannot go. So he brought the troops down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog, and do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. And the number of those who lapped with their hands to their mouth was 300 men, and all the rest of the troops knelt to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and hand the Midianites over to you, but everyone else is to go home. So Gideon sent all the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 troops who took the provision, the provisions and their trumpets. The camp of Midian was below them in the valley. So 32,000, God says, listen, I don't want y'all to get any credit. Thank you actually did this. I'm going to, like God has made it clear, he's going to deliver the victory. So tell the people who really aren't up for the battle that they can head home, 22,000 of the 32 leave. God tells Gideon, um, so you still have too many. So I'm going to give you an exercise. Take them down to the, the watering hole there. Take them down. And, and anyone who, who laps up like a dog, like puts the water in their hand and kind of laps it up, keep those guys. And anyone who kind of just, you know, puts their face in the drink, uh, send them home. And so the natural question is, is why? 
Why would God use that? Well, there's actually a deep spirit. There's actually no deep spiritual meaning. I have no idea why. Like there are plenty of things that we read in the Bible, and it's great to wonder when we get to heaven, we can, we can ask. You know, I, I tried to like hypothesize this week as I was studying. I was like, well, you know, if you, if you lap up water, you're keeping your eye on the horizon. You're ready for battle. I'm like, I, I, I don't know, right? Uh, probably God knew that more people would just put their face in the drink, and he's like, I don't want that many. So from 32,000 to 300, and if you're quick at math, now the odds are 450 to 1. But all the while, what God was doing, he, he was increasing what was already a limitation. But the purpose was to increase Gideon's faith. It was to increase the trust that Gideon would be placing in the God who would provide. It goes on to say this in verse 9. That night the Lord said to him, get up and attack the camp, for I have handed it over to you. Notice, I have done this. It's a guarantee. Verse 10, but if you are afraid to attack the camp, go down with Purah, your servant, listen to what they say, and then you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of the troops who were in the camp. Now, let me just point out another thing here about perspective. You know, we live in a time, and it's not news, it's been around forever, where the subject of fear is a pretty hot topic, right? People in the church, people in general, right, kind of a pride, oh, I got, I'm not scared of anything, right? But in the church, we, we hear statements, right, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of uh, sound mind, power, and love. So, so we hear statements, you know, well, well, perfect love casts out fear. Those are accurate statements, but what happens is inside the church, we think the right response is to deny any time we have fear. That is not the right response. The goal is not to deny fear, it is to acknowledge it and give it to God. Notice what happens, right? God says to Gideon, so he's pared it down, he's got the 300, he has said, I'm going to deliver this victory over to you. There's, I mean, 300 against 135,000, the only way that works is God. But what does God say? He says, listen, I'm go, go attack the Midianites because I'm going to I'm going to hand them over to you. But if you're a little fearful, if you're unsure of how this is going to work out, then take your servant Pura and go down and just listen to what they're saying. Okay, I don't want to belabor this point. God says, I'm going to make this happen for you. But if you're not sure, literally, like if you don't, if you're scared of what I'm saying, then go on down and, and, and give the camp a listen. You would think that verse 10 would say, and Gideon said, no way, God, I trust you. Let's go. Ver, ver, verse 11, sorry, ver, verse 11 says, and so Gideon got his servant Purah, and he went down to check it out. What, he acknowledged that he did not have complete faith this thing was going to work out. He acknowledged a level of fear that he was taking 300 troops to battle 135 he was acknowledging that his perspective was not what it needed to be. Let me just say this, beloved. Don't believe the lie. We don't need a church filled with people who deny the fact that they have fears. We need a church filled with people that admit when they have fears, give it to God, and then don't take it back. See, that, that's literally what happened. God opened the door for Gideon to acknowledge his fears, his concerns. Gideon took that opportunity. But look what happens after he goes. So he goes. It says, now the 
Midianites, Amalekites, and the Ketamites had settled down in the valley like a swarm of locusts, and their camels were as innumerable as the sand on the seashore. And when Gideon arrived, there was a man telling his friend about a dream. And he said, listen, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, struck a tent, and it fell. The loaf turned the tent upside down so that it collapsed. His friend answered, this is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. And so he, he, he takes God's opportunity to acknowledge and address his fear. He hears these people saying, we, people that, that no doubt worshiped a different God, by the way, it, you know, there's, since the beginning of time, it seems that people have worshiped multiple gods. That doesn't mean that there's only one. That, there's not a, that doesn't mean there's not only one. There's only one true God. And everyone will acknowledge that. Unfortunately, if people go through their life without calling upon the name of Jesus, then at judgment, they will acknowledge him as Lord. They just won't know him as Savior. But I believe even in this life, when people who deny the one true God come into an experience where he can't be denied, they'll still acknowledge it. People who probably did not acknowledge the one true God, they're saying, this dude, this dude Gideon, that dream that you had, that is Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. He is going to come against us because God, not a God, not our God, but God is with him. And so verse 15, when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to Israel's camp and said, get up, for the Lord has handed the Midianite camp over to you. Let me go back to fear real quick. Sometimes we have to have our perspective shifted because we just focus on the problem and not God's power. Please, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You should not live in fear. Denying your fear does not do anything with it, though. It just lets it fester. So you take your, your fear to God, right? He, he's already aware of it. He's okay with it. He provides opportunities for us to do that. So Gideon takes his fear. God, God, God says, hey, if you're not sure about this, go check it out. That's literally Gideon taking his fear to God. God's word is confirmed. People are saying, man, this is going to go down. And then Gideon's response, he had a fear. He took it to God. He did not take it back. He goes back, and what does he do? He bowed and he worshiped. When God fixes our perspective, the first response should be worship. Unfortunately, you know what happens in a lot of our lives? We're in, a, we're in a tight situation. We got fear dwelling up inside of us. We've got bad, limited perspective. We have limitations against us. And then God shows up and shows off, and he works on our behalf. And many times, the people of God, instead of first worshiping, they say, you see how I fixed that? You see how, man, I'm such a good leader? Gideon heard from the Lord and then heard through the interpretation of the dream, and his next response was to bow and worship. When it comes to our fears, we, we acknowledge them. We don't deny them. And then we take them to the God who calls us to cast our cares upon him, and then when you leave it with him, do not take it back with you. But here's the deal. That's probably going to be a daily practice. That fear is going to want to reattach itself. That concern, that struggle, it's going to want to get back with you and you will have to cast your cares upon him as part of your daily surrender. Perspectives have to be shifted. You could easily look at the odds and the perspectives would not have been in Gideon's favor. And so God is subtracting and increasing his limitations because he is also increasing his trust in him. 
There is a woman named Esther Haven, and she is a humanitarian photographer. What does that mean? She is hired by organizations that are seeking to uh, improve the world in impoverished areas. She is hired to take terrible pictures, basically. Not terrible quality, but heart-wrenching photos, right? She's hired to go to these impoverished places across Africa and the Middle East and all over the world to take pictures of, of starving, malnourished children, flies over their head, mothers, you know, in horrific situations, war-torn society. She takes pictures, and then they are used by these organizations to raise awareness and funds. But, but Esther Haven found herself at a crossroads where she was struggling with her profession because she was taking these horrific photos of people and she was doing that from the safety of her lens and then going home to the comfort of, of her freedoms and her life in America and she just felt that something was off and she was actually ready to have a career shift. But Esther is a Christ follower and so as she's ready to have a career shift, she felt the Lord speak to her, first off, Esther, my light shines upon those whom you think are without light and second, their circumstance does not define them. And so the next, maybe not the, 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 the very next, but she ended up shortly after that on a photo shoot in Rwanda. And there, she was supposed to take, you know, you, you think that all these, they're like candid when they take these really, you know, heart-wrenching photos. They, they set it up, okay? And so there was, or at least they arranged it. So there was a woman, a mother, who she was supposed to photograph to help this organization get their message out. And... You know, the, the, the situation was, it was in a, you know, a, a dirt field and the woman had her child with her. And there was a, there was a great opportunity to, to capture a photo that would have spoken to the horrific situation. Flies were around. A lot of times Esther had been taking photographs either at eye level or above the person. No, no outside lighting but as she was going to take the photo of this mother in Rwanda, she thought of the words the Lord had given her that my light already shines on them. And so she had done something that she had never done and actually wasn't really encouraged. She took some photo lighting with her, some camera lighting to, to enhance the, the shot. And then instead of looking down and trying to get the, you know, the flies in the air, she, she chose to put herself in the ground. She laid down and she took a, a photo up of this woman. And you can see the photo behind me. And when I look at this woman, I don't think, boy, this poor powerless woman, I think I'm staying away from her. She, she, she means business. And you see how with a little bit of lighting and from a, a changed perspective, that which, which the world would say has no dignity is dignified. And the shift was simply because Esther just changed her perspective. And today she still does humanitarian photography and we still, we still need to raise funds and awareness, but she does so in such a way to provide dignity to those that she is capturing because circumstances don't define our worth. Limitations don't decide who we are. And what we need is a perspective shift. And so maybe you've got a circumstance in your marriage or with your kids or with your finances. You've got some situation that, that your limitations are ever before you. What you might need is a perspective shift, and you need to let God give you his perspective. Okay, well, then how does, how does that happen, right? It sounds great in theory. How do we actually get a perspective shift? Well, let me give you some really deep theological tips here. I mean, like. Brace yourself for the level of face-melting depth I'm going to give you. How do you get God's perspective? 
you ask him for it. You ask him for it, right? What did Jesus say in the sermon? You have not because you ask not. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. And before someone thinks, oh, yes, God, I am asking for the winning lotto numbers. I'm going to stripes after church. Understand, first off, really important side note, that the Bible says that you must tithe 50% of all lottery winnings. I promise it's there. I don't have time to go there. Joking aside, Jesus does say that. He says, ask, it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Those are his words, but he says that in context of the kingdom of God, meaning that you seek what God seeks. You want what God wants. And so your perspective, you ask God, you ask God for his perspective. He will provide it. The second part is when he speaks, you listen. Listen, beloved, you are more spiritual than me, so this won't apply, but let me tell you life stories here. I have, at many times in my life, asked God for perspective on a situation. I have asked God to see things the way he sees things, and he has provided, he has responded, and when he has responded and my perspective has been aligned to his, I did not always like what I saw because I I wasn't always clear how it was better for me in the long run. Beloved, how do you get perspective? You ask for it, and then you follow. You know, I joked about if you win the lottery, tithe, you know, 50%. That is a joke, but let me tell you what's not a joke. The fact that money is one of the most contentious subjects in the church today, even though Jesus spoke about it more than heaven. You start talking about money, people get upset, and, you know, and they talk about, all oh, the pastors just, you know, just talking about money. They want more money. Let, let, me, let me just, listen, let me just tell you what the Bible says in, in a nutshell. God has clearly spoken about the subject of money, by the way. You want God's perspective on money? He's given it. We just don't always like it. And here's the reality. There are, you know, there are people in church, there are believers, Christians, that have given their heart to Jesus, just not their money. And they, they are not living the victorious, spirit-filled life. Not because they don't have perspective, but they're not willing to follow it. I mean, Gideon could have said, God, you're crazy. I'm not sending 22,000 troops home just because they're a little, we're all a little scared. You're left with 10,000 liars. Leveraging our limitations is not denying them. You'll get nowhere denying the fact and putting on some false pretense that you don't indeed have limitations, that I am not limited. But leveraging that limitation, right, begins with getting God's perspective on the situation and understand that many times God will seemingly increase or magnify your limitations because he is at the same time increasing your trust in him and the result is is greater worship, right? And so it starts with perspective. But then it goes to a plan. It transitions to a plan. In verse 16, it says this in Judges chapter 7. And then he, being Gideon, divided the 300 men into three companies and gave each of the men a trumpet in one hand and an empty pitcher with a torch inside it in the other hand. Watch me, he said to them, and do what I do. When I come to the outpost of the camp, do as I do. When I and everyone with 
me blow our trumpets, you also are to blow your trumpets all around the camp. Then you will say, for the Lord and for Gideon. And Gideon and the hundred men who were with him went to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch after the sentries had been stationed. And they blew their trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. The 300 companies blew their trumpets and shattered their pitchers. They held their torches in their hands, their trumpets in their right hands, and shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. So notice what happens in the beginning with perspective. In those first 15 verses, God is giving Gideon some very specific instructions, right? Hey, tell the, tell the, 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 the scaredy cats to go home. Hey, take them to the water, and, and everyone who laps this way, keep them. Those who don't, send them home. He's giving really clear instructions, but what seems to happen in verses 16 through 20 is we, I'm not saying it didn't happen, it's just not recorded. We don't see the same exchange where God said, all right, get 100 guys and get some trumpets and torches and, and do this. I'm not saying, to be clear, that, that God did not direct Gideon, what I am saying, though, is there comes a point in time when we continually seek God's perspective that we have an ability to walk his paths. Simply put, God does not expect us to remain passive, right? Proverbs 3 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of your ways and he will make your path straight. Beloved, what I believe, this is not removing God from the equation and it doesn't mean that he's not in the process of directing, but when we continue to trust in the Lord our God with all of our heart and we do not lean on our own understanding, when we do that continually and repeatedly, when we acknowledge him in all of our ways, the response is he makes our paths straight and we can walk the straight path with him as we grow in our faith. Does that make sense? that we reach a point of spiritual maturity where we know the straight path, we recognize it, and we just start to walk it. Somewhere along the faith journey, we must actually plan to act out our faith. We, we must plan to, to be assertive and active with that which God is calling us to do. God has given Gideon a perspective, and from the human side of things, it's a bad one. He's outnumbered 450 to 1. But his perspective has shifted. His trust is in God. So now Gideon is getting with his men and he is making a plan to take down the Midianites. Again, as, as I said earlier, when we seek God's perspective, we have to then listen and follow. That's the plan part, by the way. When God guides and directs, we, we need to respond to how he is guiding and directing. And beloved, at the end of the day, let me just say this, faith requires hard work. You know, I've heard some believers say, you know, ever since trusting Jesus, it, life just got easy. They're, they're e I'm either a terrible, terrible Christian or they're a liar. Now hear me. I'm not saying that since following Christ, I have not experienced life to the fullest because I have. But it has not been easy. Dying to myself repeatedly is not easy, right? I wish that, like I said, yes to Jesus, March 4th, 98, and every sinful desire I've ever had just disappeared, and, and I just knew how to be forgiving and trusting and, 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 and not harbor bitterness and, and all. I just wish I just, it just, it was just automatic. I've been imparted that ability, by the way. I've been, I've been given everything I need for life and godliness, but I still have to actively plan to live that life, and it is not always easy. Early on in ministry, I was faced with a situation. I was serving in student ministry, and there was another staff member serving with me. 
And that other staff member made a really horrific decision. It was a moral failure, and uh, it affected me. Uh, we had been serving together and built a, a, a friendship, and I felt, I felt that um, he had betrayed me in this situation. But, but more than that, it, it, it greatly affected the ministry. And I don't have time to get into all the details, but, but he, he, he had to transition out of his role, and, and there was a lot of questions as to why, and, and not, not from, from him, but, but from the, the, the students. It was a youth ministry. And, and initially, initially, I thought to myself, this is a terrible situation, but God's going to bring beauty from ashes. And initially, I was like, this is going to be great. And I felt initially, while I was, I, I recognized the failure, but I was like, oh, that's okay. And so this person had moved on. But as I began to try to lead this ministry back towards health, I felt that there were times that this individual was still kind of negatively affecting things, Some, just in various ways. And, and, and I, I experienced for a period of time that I, the ministry wasn't, wasn't healing, right? We weren't actually moving forward. And so I, I would go home and, and I would get kind of enraged in myself because the reason we, we, why we couldn't move forward is we were still dealing with the consequences of what this person had decided to do. And so we weren't getting any traction. We were kind of spinning our wheels. And I was convinced it was because of, of, of what had happened. And then one, one day, just in my own quiet time, being frustrated with this situation, few months removed from when it happened, and I felt the Lord just kind of speak to me. And, and listen, this does not deny the action, but I felt the Lord speak to me that you're not moving forward, not because of the trauma, but because of your bitterness. I was like, Lord, you're, something's off in translation. I don't know if you know this, but I, I didn't do anything. And I, like, I wrestled, and I was like, I didn't hear correctly. <laughs> and the funny thing is if you want to, you can find people that agree with you. I was like, hey, I was praying, I was praying, and, and I felt I heard this from the Lord, but, but that can't be right. Oh, yeah, there's no way that's right. In fact, this person hasn't really even sought restoration from me. Like, they're even, they're more wrong than they were to begin with. That's not it. A few more months, really, of, of kind of just the wheels spinning. And the Lord just kind of wouldn't take that away. And by God's grace, listen, I'm, I'm not some better saint than anybody here. By God's grace, I just realize he's not saying anything else to me. So maybe I'm missing something. And beloved, this is not a sermon about forgiveness, but to, to forgive someone and to let go of bitterness is, is, not, to, is not to simply say that nothing happened. It's, that's not, how that, it's not what that means. But God has given a plan, Right? And I don't always like it. Listen, listen, let me just issue a statement. It's easy to say we want to be like Jesus until we actually got to be like Jesus. Because how has he handled the ways that I have wronged him? And so I just came to this crossroads where my perspective had to get shifted. And by God's grace, he helped me with that. But then I actually had to have a plan. And that, and that didn't mean necessarily that the, that person had to come back and it's not that, but it did mean that, that first off, I had to release that. And, and then I had to pray for their genuine welfare. I had to pray for restoration in their lives and their hearts and, and for, for, for them to be able to move forward in a healthy way. And it's not easy. Like, there's, I still 
think about this sometimes. My wife and I would talk about it, and, and there, I, I still, you know, many years later when I think about it, I just have to confess, many times my first response is a reversion to bitterness and anger. And I have to then release it again. When I thought about this as an illustration, my first response was like, God, I can't believe that happened, you know, and, and it, that's, it's okay. I acknowledge, and then I take it back and leave it at the cross. Because hear me, beloved, our inability to process hurt is a limitation that only Jesus can make right. Our limitation to deal with the wrongs of this life that we experience, both the ones we receive and the ones we cause. It's a limitation that we can either live in or we can leverage. And Satan would love for us to live in it, but when we give it to the Lord and we plan to move forward, faithful step after faithful step, something powerful happens and the limitation gets leveraged. And then number, number three, I want you to write down the word pursue. Pursue verse 21, each Israelite took his position around the camp and the entire Midianite army began to run, and they cried out as they fled. When Gideon's men blew their 300 trumpets, the Lord caused the men and the whole army to turn on each other with their swords. And they fled to the Acacia house in the direction of Zerera, as far as the border of Abel Meloha near Tabat. And then the men of Israel were called from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh, and they pursued the Midianites. So, so what happens? This great, this great military strategy go from 32,000 to 300 to fight 135,000, but then it gets even better. Did you notice the weapons they took with them? Trumpets and torches. Again, I'm not a veteran. I'm thankful for all those that have served, so I don't speak with much knowledge, but I feel safe in assuming, first off, the numeric odds are not good, and that if I'm that outnumbered, like, give me some tanks. Like, okay, God, 300 tanks. Now I see what you got planned, right? 300, you know, uh, you know airplanes and, and 300 missiles. Yes, no, no. Let's take, and this is Gideon, right, from the Lord, but Gideon is now planning and pursuing based on his time with the Lord. Gideon gets it. He's not trying to strategize how he can actually accomplish it because God's already said it's going to happen. And since he knows God's going to do it, why not do it with trumpets and torches? And this is where I'm going. You're like, where are you connecting this? Gideon got a fresh perspective. And then he planned to operate on that perspective. But ultimately, he had to pursue that which God had spoken to him. Perspective and planning are passive realities. Pursuit is the action. And so with 300 men perched on the hillside, 135,000 enemies Gideon's got a hundred, he's got one third of the crew with him. And he says, when I blow the horn, you blow the horn. And he, you know, he blows the trumpet and then the other 200 chime in, they break their pitchers and they have their torches. And what happens? The Midianite army turns on themselves. Beloved, in your life, when you, fa- when you are faced with your limitations, you will have to shift that perspective. You will have to plan according to what God has shown you, but then you must pursue that which, which God is saying. You must pursue that which God is telling you to do. And I think there are believers living in their limitations instead of leveraging them because situations seem insurmountable. I get it, right? Odds are not in our favor 
if we're honest, sometimes it doesn't seem like it's in our best interest. But here's the thing. We, we all know this statement. Let me just, I don't have a lot of time. Let me just say this. We all know this statement, and it's true. Where God guides, God provides. But let me reframe that. And so before you, you know, get out your, you know, pitchforks and torches, because I'm a heretic, let me explain. I'm about to say something that's going to sound off. Let me just, benefit of the doubt, all right? Where God guides, God provides. But guess what? God also guides where he doesn't provide. Frame it from a human perspective. From the human perspective, God was not providing logically. He was, he was stripping down the strength of the army. You catch that? He, 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 was, he was increasing limitations. Sometimes I pray and I want God to, do the, you know, to show up with, with you know, the, the, the fire and the, you know, the windstorm. I want him to show up and show off on my behalf. And I want him to clearly be made manifest and say, listen, this God is on my side. Now what? But sometimes God will call us and in the moment with our human eyes, he is guiding, but it does not seem his, he is providing. And when we still pursue Jesus, that's when we learn that no matter the situation where God guides, he does provide. It's only when we willingly go through the valley of shadows that we understand God is feeling, it's feeling like he's not providing, but I will trust him anyways. And you get to the other side, you're like, how did that happen? How did I get here? And even though there may not be, listen, the story here, the 300 went to battle, but they, they kind of didn't. It's not like, if, if you're familiar, also in the book of Judges, there's a guy named Samson. You may have heard of him, Samson. So he's like this mighty warrior, and he, he, he kills a 1,000 dudes with the jawbone of a donkey. Like, I, that's intense. This is not how this one went down. It's not like the 300, you know, charged the mountain, swords drawn, chopping off heads and... No, they, they blew trumpets and carried torches. And, and, and it wasn't that, you know, in the, in the human mind, in the human vision, God just provided. It's that in the midst of their limitations, in what seemed to be a lacking of provision, God was still guiding. And so it may be today, I'm not going to presume to understand every situation that's being faced by the people in the room and online. Every, every challenge to the marriage, every, every challenge in parenting, every challenge in finances, Every challenge in your thought process and the feelings of despair that just kind of the cloud that seems to be over you and it hadn't left for maybe for years if you're honest. And what I'm telling you is that you, you, you got to get that perspective shifted. You need to take it to the Lord. What some of us need to do as, as we leave today is, is you need to apply this method of, of trying to discern what God has for you. There, there are three Three, th three ways I think you can discern what God has for you to know his perspective and know your plan and what to pursue. You search the scriptures, right? You search the scriptures, right? I, in 22 years, one of the most heartbreaking and frustrating things I've dealt with is people that come to me with a terrible situation. They need counsel, they need advice, they need guidance, and they say, Chris, I don't know what to do in this situation. And I say, well, God, what is God saying? They're like, I don't know, that's why I'm talking to you. And I'll say, well, what are you, what are you reading in the word? Like, what? well, I haven't really been reading. I'm like, I, again, I've said it before. Like, I'm really not joking. I'm a terrible counselor. I'm like, well, what, what are you reading the word? Well, I'm not. Well, go read the Bible and then let's talk, right? That's probably not what I should say. But. 
Believer, hear me. You are not, you, you will never understand the potential of your limitations. You catch that? You will never understand the potential of your limitations if you will not seek God in his word. So like every week, I know that it's a broken record. I get it, guys, but I'm going to talk about, are you in the word of God? Are you spending time searching the scriptures? As you search the scriptures, you seek the Spirit. And just for clarity, this is a sermon in itself, but the Holy Spirit and the Holy Bible never disagree with each other. They do not disagree. So when you feel the Spirit is say, or, 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 or someone else is feeling the Spirit saying something and you cannot find that in the Bible, you can safely assume you need to keep looking. How do you seek the Spirit? That's where prayer comes in. You're actively in discipline seeking the Scriptures. You are spending time in prayer. And then third, the saints. You notice those all start with the same letter, Scripture. Spirit and saints, right? You can begin to seek out God's perspective when you will search the scriptures, the spirit, and the saints. But let me get this, let me get this straight, beloved. That's got to be the order, meaning that the saints have got to come in last. The gift of the church is a beautiful gift. But when I'm at a crossroads, my first response should not be to go to you. It should be go to him. But, 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 but by practicing searching the scripture, seeking the spirit and the saints, that then I can begin to understand how I can increase my limited perspective. I can understand that God will do the extraordinary out of the ordinary. I can shift my eyes from the problem to the power of God. And I will also understand, check it out, that I have everything I need. What Satan wants us to do is view our limitations and view how we are lacking a resource. The story of the gospel of Jesus is, yes, that we're lacking a resource, but it's him. And when Jesus takes up residence in our lives by grace through faith, when we believe that and receive that, we, have every, we're, we are no longer lacking resources. The gift of salvation in Christ. We have to grow in resource, but we are not lacking. We've been given what we need for a life of godliness. And so you maybe today feel like your limitations are ever in front of you. And it may be those very limitations that you, say, you can't seem to get your mind off of. And whatever the situation is, you may think, and the enemy has you thinking, well, it, you can't be used. You're so limited. You're so limited. God can't use you. You, you can never be an effective mouthpiece at your workplace because you're so far down the, the ladder and the org chart. Your voice doesn't matter. You can never be influential. And this is what I want to say to you. Leverage the limitation. Remember that the, the, the man we read about who is called a man after God's own heart, David, who would ascend to the throne, become the king of Israel. Some, we got, some of you know his story that he started off as a shepherd, right? And he had these awesome brothers that were like William Wallace, you know, from Braveheart and Gladiator. Those would not be together at the same time. But, you know, you know like he's got these awesome, the family lineage was filled with studs. And, and when, when Samuel had been told that the next king was going to be from, from this guy Jesse's lineage, one of his sons, he goes to look, and he's like, man, that's, you know, tall, dark, and handsome, you know, strong and strapping. And, and, but God's like, nope, 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 nope. So Samuel's at a loss. He's like, I, I'm pretty sure I heard from the Lord. It was, you know, Jesse's house, you know, right on, you know, Main Street. I mean, and he's like, Jesse, is this everybody? And I'm, this is like my own, you know, version of the Bible. Oh, yeah, this is all of them. Oh, wait, well, that, yeah, David. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, David. Little David, he's, I mean, he's doing what he does. <laughs> he's a shepherd, <laughs> not the guy you're looking for. 
But Samuel, in obedience to, to, to God, goes, and, and, and goes to David, the shepherd, and it's, you know, like, oh. And so he, he's the one. And, and so he was anointed king. Now, he did not become king for many years later. But if we're not careful, we'll read the story of David, and we make it sound real spiritual. Well, God made him, chose him to be king in spite of his limitations. His, he's just a shepherd. He wasn't this soldier warrior. And so God... God chose him to be king because of his shepherding, not in spite of it. And what you think is limiting you, if you will give it to the Lord, it may be that very thing that he wants to do something not in spite of, but because of. He will use you. You just got to let him. And when that happens, it is not a life of impossibilities, but it is a life of possibilities that awaits you. And the way we start is we start by drawing near to him, right? God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And maybe today the truth is you have not been seeking first his kingdom, right? Maybe today you have not been seeking him out. But in these few moments we have together, you can come to this altar and just kneel and, and offer a prayer of surrender. We'll have a prayer team available to pray with you and over you. You draw near, you seek him out, you, you direct your heart's affection towards him. Well, Chris, how do I do that? That's saying this week, and you say it every week, you, you decide to get into the word, you make a plan, you carve out time for some prayer. You, you're here, praise God, you value the corporate worship, you practice community, you direct your heart's affection. You know how else you direct your heart's affection? Through obedience. And so when it comes to that controversial subject of money, you start worshiping God with the tithe. We had, we had a baptism at our 9 a.m. service. Maybe someone here today, you've said yes to God. You've received the gift of Jesus, but you have not been obedient in baptism. Obedience directs your heart's affection towards him. But ultimately, the only reason we can direct our affections towards him is because he first did so towards us. We love because he first loved. People say, well, about a non-believer, like believers, believers need to seek first the kingdom, right? But the reality, biblically, is non-believers don't seek God, they respond to him. He's seeking. Right? I came to seek and to save that which is lost. The lost things don't typically seek out the finder. You ever notice that? And so maybe today you don't know where you stand with God. You've got religion in your background. You, you, you feel like you're a relatively good person. But the truth is you don't know if you have ever had a, that moment where you said yes to Jesus and by grace through faith you receive salvation. You went from death to life, and with that came the assurance. 1 John 1, 5, I have said these things so that you may know. It doesn't have to be a guessing game. And today, if you don't know where you stand with God, if you're in this room or online, what I want you to know is today you can know. And you can receive his affection towards you, displayed in the death of his son, Jesus, on the cross, paying for sin and his resurrection defeating sin, and you say, God, I need you. And so as we respond in worship, I want to give anyone who may want to make that decision to trust Jesus an opportunity. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. And today, if there's someone who needs to make that decision to say yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to simply say this prayer with me. It's not a magic formula. It's a way for you to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, the belief that you need a Savior that you are not it and you believe Jesus is. And so if that's you today, would you just pray this with me if you wanna give your life to Christ. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm far from you. 
And I know that I'm lost without you. But I believe that you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus, that he left heaven and came to earth, and that he lived without sin, and that he died on the cross and he paid for sin, and that he rose again three days later in victory, and he defeated sin and death. And so, Jesus, today I trust you with my life, and I receive your salvation. Will you help me live for you every day of my life? And thank you for loving me first. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.